You're listening to an Ancient Future podcast produced by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. This is episode three in our serialization of Dr. John Boddicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments Are Good News. Episode 1 featured a conversation I shared with John. Episode 2 featured the introduction along with two brief chapters. And from now on, the episode numbers will coincide with the chapter numbers. And so today it is chapter 3, The Big Picture, in which John takes all of 13 minutes to offer a compact overview of the whole of the biblical story. Now, of course, he knows he hasn't done justice to it all. He hasn't included all of the nuances and the way in which Scripture, in its stories and its teachings, comments upon itself. But that's fine, because for the purposes of this particular book, it's so good to have that kind of an overarching look at the big picture. This is John Bodicher. Chapter 3, The Big Picture. If you want to know the whole story, you have to read the Bible. It's a great collection of writings, originally in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and available in a bewildering variety of translations, each of which reflects the insights, culture, and limitations of the translators. The Bible is a weird and wonderful collection. It does not simply tell a story, but is also made up of smaller stories, poetry, and other kinds of writing. The whole story emerges from the collection only with the help of the reader's imagination. I do not say these things to discourage you from reading the Bible, for that is something I very much hope you will continue to do. But to approach the Bible without an awareness of its character, its weirdness, if you please, will lead the reader to give up in confusion or despair, or to turn to some supposed authority for oversimplified help that is finally disrespectful of the book itself. So, this is a heads up. One of the most important figures in the story is a man named Jacob. He's a rascal. Having cheated his brother, Jacob leaves home to seek his fortune and avoid the consequences of his misdeeds. Much later, he returns home, family and fortune in tow, However, he's still afraid of his brother and the army his brother has come to lead. So, when Jacob gets to the border of his brother's turf, he sends his family across, but waits in the far side with his demons. During a restless night, he's confronted by a mysterious presence with whom he wrestles. At dawn, the match ends in a draw, with Jacob demanding from the stranger a blessing. The stranger vanishes after blessing Jacob with a dislocated hip and a new name. The new name is Israel, which means wrestler with God. It is no accident that the homeland of the Jewish people and one of the names Christians have for their community is Israel. I am suggesting that the only way to deal with the Bible is by wrestling with it and that dislocated joints of various kinds may be part of the result. Now, I'm not so foolish as to attempt to give you a summary of the whole biblical narrative. 
But I must give you enough of a summary to show where the Ten Commandments fit. The story begins with a couple named Abraham and Sarah, who believe they have been called to leave a city, which is one of the centers of civilization of that time. They are called to go with some relatives and associates to a remote area known today as Israel or Palestine and to make a new life there. Over time, the God who calls them makes a covenant with them. They and their descendants will be his people and he will be their God. But wait a minute, doesn't the Bible begin with creation and the flood and all that? Well, yes, it does. But those first chapters are a kind of prologue to the story of Abraham, Sarah, and their spiritual descendants. It is important to acknowledge the Creator, for it means we are creatures related to everything else in the universe. The other main point of creation stories is that the Creator pronounced the creation good and then rested. We will get to what that might mean for us when we get to the fourth commandment. The point of the prologue for the story as a whole is that human beings who were given a special responsibility to care for the creation messed things up. This led to their exile from the garden that is their first home and to the corruption of their relationships, even to murder. God's offer to Abraham and Sarah is part of God's way to begin setting things right, restoring again the goodness of creation and the human role in it. Now, let's get back to the story. Jacob, Israel, is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. He has a lot of children, including 12 sons, with a few wives. This is, by the way, what the Bible presents as a traditional family. The next to youngest son, Joseph, is a favorite of his dad. His jealous older brothers secretly sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, another center of civilization, where he becomes the prime minister. In a time of famine, his brothers come to him for help, not knowing who he is. He reconciles with them, and the whole family moves to Egypt. They prosper for a few generations, and then a new king, worried about these immigrants, reduces them to slavery and finally orders their male children to be killed. This king is obviously unaware of the power of women because women, both Israelite and Egyptian, see to it that one of the slave children, Moses, not only survives, but is raised in the royal palace. When, as a young man, Moses protests against injustice, he has to flee to the desert. And there he has an encounter with a mysterious presence who tells him to return to Egypt and lead his people out to freedom. Moses wants to know the name of the one who is calling him, but gets this strange response. I am who I am. Do what I've asked you to do, and you will find out who I am. As with Abraham and Sarah, knowing God is possible only through undertaking a journey in faith, doing what God calls us to do. So Moses goes, and the going is not easy. The king vacillates. Disasters fall on the land. Finally, the people miraculously make it into the desert with the leadership of Moses and his sister Miriam. So there they are, free at last. But in the desert, 
just when they are starting to think that maybe they were better off as slaves in Egypt, they find themselves camped at the foot of a mountain, which is behaving just like it was an active volcano. Moses is called to go up the mountain to meet the mysterious presence. There, God tells Moses to remind the people of how he has liberated them and to offer them a covenant in which, if they follow God's instruction, they will become a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. He comes back down with this message, and the people agree to their part in this covenant. After one more trip up and down the mountain for Moses and his brother Aaron, there follows, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments spoken by God. The people hear the voice of God, but it's too much for them. They ask Moses to carry on listening to God and then to tell them what was said. So Moses goes back into the thick darkness where God was. What follows are 11 chapters of detailed instructions on a wide variety of topics, at the end of which God gives Moses the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Later, we shall consider the fate of those stone tablets. The I Am has offered a covenant to the people, just as with Abraham and Sarah. The Ten Commandments, God's contribution to the terms of this covenant, give the people the shape of freedom. But learning to live as free people takes the practice of faith and hope and love. It takes generations of wandering in the desert before the people finally, after the death of Moses, return to the land promised to Abraham and Sarah. Before Moses dies, he makes a great farewell speech to the people, reminding them of the covenant relationship at the heart of their freedom. Another version of the Ten Commandments is included in Moses' final address to the people, found in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, and that name means second law. When we get to a discussion of the commandments, I'll give two versions of each commandment so that we can reflect on the differences. One significant feature of the Bible is that it includes more than one version of many major topics, such as the creation, or the life of King David, or the life of Jesus, as if to invite us to search for and be challenged by multiple perspectives and divergent interpretations. Back to the story. After entering the Promised Land, the people struggle with their neighbors, often with bloody consequences. Eventually, they make someone king, in spite of their previous bad experience with kings. Their second king is a man named David, a combination guerrilla warrior and songwriter. His greatest hits are the core of the justly famous book of Psalms. For a brief synopsis of his character, consult Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah. After King David and his successor son Solomon, the kingdom is divided. Many prophets arise to warn the people that they are not truly living the way of freedom in either their politics or their religion. While their voices are treasured by some and remembered to this day, the promised land is eventually conquered by other more powerful kings and their armies. Eventually, the great temple built by Solomon is destroyed, and the leaders of the people are taken away to exile in Babylon. After some generations, I Am continues to be faithful to the covenant, enabling the too often unfaithful people 
to return to the promised land and to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, David's capital city. But true freedom is still elusive. The great empires of Persia, then Greece, then Rome, include Israel and their domain, despite occasional rebellions. For Christians, this story leads to its climax in the story of Jesus of Nazareth, paradoxically affirmed by Christians to be both fully human and truly the incarnation of God, the Son of his Father. We see him as Messiah or Christ, that is, anointed one or king as David was. He lived to embody true human freedom, died showing us how faithful suffering exposes and overcomes injustice and oppression, and was raised from the dead to open the door of freedom for all people. His disciples, that is, followers whose lives are disciplined, guided by his teaching, are to be the agents of the freedom of God's covenant community until his return to complete God's liberating purpose, a fulfillment sometimes imagined as a new Jerusalem. These very human disciples and their community, fallible and fragile, can hope to experience this freedom and fulfill their part of the covenant only through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God freely living and active among and within these disciples. The unity of the I Am, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we call Trinity, while recognizing that human language is never able to express fully the mysterious presence. The Christian story has too often been told in a way that makes it sound as if the story of the Israelites before Christ no longer matters. In this testimony, I understand the story to be one. The division between those Israelites now called Jews and those now called Christians, a division that has led to extremes of injustice and unimaginable human suffering, is a sign that the incompleteness of the story and a challenge to our capacity for hope. But the division does not prevent us from claiming our place in the story of covenant relationship with the God who wrestles with us and blesses us with commandments that give us the way toward freedom. You've been listening to a podcast in our serialization of John Boddicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News. I'd invite you to consult the show notes where you'll find a link to the web post for this episode. And on that post, we will be including each of the episodes as they're released so that it's easy for you to go back and pick up one that you may have missed. Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News is easily available through many booksellers, both online and the bricks and mortar sort. And a particularly affordable edition of the book in Kindle format is available through Amazon. Music for this series was provided by Steve Bell. We are grateful to Signpost for their permission to use this music. We're also grateful to John for taking the time to so carefully record these. To Kevin Grummet, Larry Campbell, and Bram Ryan, who did a lot of the background work on this audio. And to you for taking the time to listen, to think, to dig deeper with us in these podcasts. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. 
Thanks for listening.